Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 13. We are coming to the end of this book of Hebrews. We've been in this book for a long time now, going verse by verse through. And today we are looking at Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 17. And so go ahead and stand. Follow along as I read Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you do good. We praise you for the truth that we have proclaimed in song already this morning, gospel truths, that because of Christ, we stand before you clean and pure. We praise you for that, and we ask you, Lord, that you would help us in this time. As we look to your word, that you would be glorified, that you would give us hearts that lean into you, that you would make our hearts good soil for the seed of the word, that it would produce a harvest, that you would be glorified through us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. If you were here a few weeks ago when we looked at Hebrews 13, verse 7, in that the writer exhorts the church to remember their leaders and to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. As we come 10 verses later here to verse 17, the writer addresses these leaders of the church again. And the exhortation to the church is this, obey them and submit to them. Now, I want to address a few things before we get actually to the verse. First is this. Obviously, this text tells us that the church that the writer of Hebrews is writing to had leaders. We know that from verse 7. We know that here from verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So first, we can... We can be certain that this church had leaders. Secondly, we can also agree that the writer of this book, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So we can, we can agree that this writer approved of that fact, that there were to be leaders in the church. The New Testament is clear that the church is to have leaders, and those leaders are called elders or shepherds or overseers. That being said, it doesn't necessarily make this an easy text. There are, there are real issues that, that make a text like this for certain people in the body of Christ difficult. Culturally, first of all, we are a society, a people of self-determination, not submission. Submitting to the will of another is not something that comes easily to us or something that is readily accepted. 
So when you hear, obey your leaders and submit to them, you might, as many people do, recoil. I picked the wrong Sunday. Another issue is that, honestly, authority and power have been so often abused. Which leads to a legitimate concern or distrust or misgivings about statements of obedience or submission in the church. But there are other biblical reasons why this text is difficult to preach on. The Bible teaches that sometimes elders do wrong things and they even teach wrong things or teach others to do wrong things. Paul, when he gathers the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, in verse 30 it says, or in verse 29 it says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, elders, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's a truth that's warned against in the Scriptures. So that makes for congregations and even for pastors at times texts like this uncomfortable or difficult. The implication in Acts 20 is that some elders will turn away from truth and what's right, and actually try to lead others away with them. And so obedience to an elder like that isn't just difficult, it would be wrong. We learn from Galatians 1, 8, some elders preach another gospel. Paul warns, even if an angel comes to you, if I come to you and preach a gospel that's not the gospel of the Bible. Let him be accursed. And lastly, in 1 Peter 5, as Peter is exhorting the elders, he says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Well, why does he write that? Because clearly there is a temptation for those who are elders or pastors to lord it over or to do it for the wrong reasons, for shameful gain. And that's, as, as Peter's writing there, unbiblical. That's not biblical leadership. That's worldly leadership. That's what Jesus explains as worldly leadership in the Gospels. And so that would also make obedience to this text difficult. Now, those are real issues that can make a text like this hard, that can make hearing obey your leaders and submit to them a hang-up for people. But with any and all of these things, 
those things that could and sometimes do happen, they do not nullify the commands of Scripture. That we as people do not nullify what God has spoken. Remember what he says earlier. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. And his word never, ever changes. And one of the reasons this verse is not discarded due to the possibilities or difficulties is that the Bible teaches that a church ought to have a plurality of elders to protect should any of those things or all of those things take place. That's what Paul's point is in Acts 20. Be on guard. Because even among your own selves, even from among you elders, wolves may rise up. And so he warns them. And so, yes, just like with verse 7, there could be an awkwardness. There could be an awkwardness to preaching this text. But I've, I've come to realize from my own heart and my own dealings with the flesh in preaching that an awkwardness in preaching is often, as it relates to me, more prideful than whatever the worries or concerns of how it's received might be. And so I can say to you today, I'm humbled by this verse. As I'm sure the other elders are humbled by this verse, but I'm not ashamed of it. In fact, I'm grateful for God's clear instruction in things like this that would otherwise lead to an unavoidable conflict or division within the body. He's gracious to us. He's kind to give us these kinds of verses. And so let's look what the writer is saying here. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's a clear command here to the church and a clear explanation for that command and here in this one verse. And so we're going to look at it in that sense. We're going to look at what the command is, why the command is given, how the command is to be obeyed, and what that will mean for the church body. And so what is the command? The beginning of verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them. In the body of Christ within the local church, Christians are commanded to be responsive to those who have been entrusted to lead them. They're to yield to their authority, to subordinate themselves to them, even when they have a difference of opinion. Now, that's hard. That's hard. I can't see what you're feeling right now. But that's hard. 
Because our flesh struggles with the concept of submission. We do. But the truth is when God's people act independently and in self-will, there's little growth, there's little peace, there's little joy in the ministry of the local church. You consider the pictures that the Scriptures give from, from beginning to end of sheep. One thing that we are crystal clear about is it's not safe for sheep to wander off on their own. The shepherd is there to lead and guide into safety. And, and that's, that's what the term shepherd for pastor elder is meant to, to present to us, to picture for us. That is, those who are leading you into safety. Safety in the body of Christ. Those leaders have been put into position to lead and to teach and to encourage the sheep. Remember what the elders are commissioned to do in the local church. We already read in 1 Peter 5. I'm going to read it again. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, that's a clear picture he's giving there. Shepherd and sheep. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Elders have been entrusted with that responsibility. And the body is entrusted with hearts that obey and submit to them. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish them and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, if you get to this first part of the verse, the command, and wonder, do... Do the words obey and submit really mean obey and submit, though? Is there some kind of like a obscure Greek meaning that's kind of lost in the translation for us? No. They actually mean obey and submit. The word submit here means to yield to a person. Submit to them. Obedience in the context of the local body means to do what is asked of you. Now, don't get hung up on that. What are elders asking of you? 
to believe the Bible and serve one another and love. And at times, they give direction as to specifics of obedience, needs for that particular body, but but none of that should be in contrast to what God's Word says and gives to us. And so the writer says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Why? He goes on, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Obey them and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. In other words, just consider for a moment the responsibility placed on elders. There are two aspects of their responsibility just in this verse here. Two reasons why you ought to obey and submit to them. First, they are keeping watch over your souls. Obey your leaders and submit to them because, first of all, they're keeping watch over your souls. The prophet Ezekiel gives a picture of of this responsibility, Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the Lord speaking to him, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. They're keeping watch over your souls. Those words in Hebrews 13, 7, keeping watch, they literally mean to keep oneself awake or alert. Pastors and elders are responsible to keep watch over the souls of the body, watching, guarding, or caring for the people. They keep watch for the spiritual welfare of the congregation. Their task, if taken lightly, could result in serious harm to the spiritual lives of God's children. You consider... In Acts chapter 6, where the apostles, this uh, group is, is, is bringing a, a charge where they're disgruntled because they're not, not getting the food that's being distributed. And the apostles appoint deacons to, to take care of that need. They appoint men to take care of that need. And in the midst of that, the apostles say, we will continue to devote ourselves to the word and to prayer to watchfulness over the souls of the body. One commentator writes this, watching implies keeping oneself and others safe where danger is known to exist or where one fears its existence. Where no danger exists, watching is not needed. All this applies to the church in the highest degree where the safety of souls is to be guarded. Now let me ask you honestly, do you even see 
a threat. That there are threats to the body of Christ, to individuals in the body of Christ. Spiritual apathy, immaturity, neglect of truth, compromise, fear of hardship, bitterness of soul, backsliding, disregard of others. And that list is just made up of concerns mentioned in the book of Hebrews. There are concerns. There are things to fear. Pastors and elders are entrusted with the responsibility to watch over your souls. Paul addressed this need in Ephesians 4 after saying that shepherds and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of of ministry, and he unfolds that. We'll get to that later. And in 1 Peter 5 and Acts 20, so they're responsible to keep watch over your souls. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls. And secondly, the second responsibility given to them is as those who will have to give an account. The sobering fact is spiritual responsibility brings with it a higher level of judgment. James says in James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I've said many times in ministry here at Cornerstone, The reality is, I know that I am preaching some things that are not true. I know it. There are people I look up to and respect who are scholars. I see your faces. I'll get there, I promise, okay? (laughs) Who are scholars who have studied the Bible for years who I disagree with. And I can't be right about everything. I know there are things because I'm not perfect. I don't have a perfect knowledge of the Scriptures. I don't know what those things are. I'm, I'm, what I'm preaching to you, I'm getting from the Scriptures. I'm studying and I'm studying and I'm getting it from the Scriptures. I don't know what those things are. If I did, I would change in a second. I would get up in front of you and say to you, hey, I was wrong. I've done it before. I was wrong. I was wrong about this doctrine. I was wrong about this teaching. I was wrong. I don't know what they are. I would change. But I know there are are things. Or James wouldn't have to say that. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness because increased responsibility means increased accountability and those who have been entrusted to watch over souls and to teach the truth will be held accountable for the truth that they teach for the things that they teach Luke 12 48 
Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The reality is pastors, elders, when they are thinking rightly, are not making decisions based on how they will be judged by you, but how they will be judged by God. Now, I assure you, you come to mind and you are loved in every single decision that the elders of this church make. But there is a higher judge, and his judgment weighs heavily on the decisions that we make. The writer of Hebrews here is saying, consider the fact that there are men who have been appointed to watch over your souls, and they have to give an account to God for how they do that. Let that thought have a weight on your heart and mind and obey those leaders and submit to them. And then we come to the how of the verse. How how ought you obey and submit? Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. The goal for the church member in obedience, second to their honoring of Christ and glorifying His name, is the joy of those called to shepherd them. Let them do this with joy. The contrast to that joy here is groaning, which means a deep sorrow and longing for better conditions. Now, I want to say personally here, it it would be a lie to say that I've never experienced groaning in ministry. But consistently, it has been a joy to shepherd the body here. I consider it a joy to be your pastor. I I don't come to this text and have like a bone to pick. It's just here. And it's good. It's good. I consider a joy to pastor here. I want to be here. I want to be your pastor. And I want you to know that. I want to do this. I find joy in doing this. And I love you. Let them do it with joy. And not with groaning. There's a way to be a church member and to bring joy to the hearts of those who pastor the church, who shepherd the church. Aim for that. That's what the writer's saying here. Aim for that. Aim for the joy of your leaders, not the groaning. The difficulty here is that when a person is causing groaning in the leadership of the church, it's often because that person is certain that they are right and the leadership is wrong. And it's possible that they're right. However, what does obedience and submission look like in a situation like that if sin is not involved, if it's a difference of opinion? 
Let them do it with joy and not with groaning. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. How? Let them do it with joy and not with groaning. Now, what does that look like or mean for the body? For that would be of no advantage to you. Obey and submit in a way that is to your advantage. We think of obedience and submission as a disadvantage. We think of if I have to submit to another person, that's a disadvantage. They actually have an advantage over me. But that's not what he's saying here. It's actually to your advantage to obey and submit in a way that brings joy to the leadership of the church. It's to your advantage. But do we believe that? It's to your advantage to have joyful elders. And it would not be to your advantage to have elders who are groaning. I want to say here, groaning elders. So one of the things I get from what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, groaning elders exist. Right? I mean, clearly making that a point. Groaning elders do not give an immediate justification to leave the church. Let me say that again. Groaning elders do not give an immediate justification to leave the church. Rather, the first reaction and response of the church member ought to be stay and ask, in what ways am I hindering joy and causing groaning? Am I submitting? Am I submitting in a way that brings joy? One of the evidences of our self-serving society is the quickness to leave a church when things are not as we want them to be. And rather than submitting to those entrusted with watching their souls, a person will leave to find a place where they are more joyful rather than finding a way to submit to make their leaders more joyful. Listen, here's the reality in this. You consider the, the sheep example that I mentioned earlier. Shepherds are sheep. They're sheep in need of the great shepherd who is Christ. Sheep who are entrusted to shepherd Christ's sheep in the local body. So they're going to do things and they're going to preach things that aren't your favorite. They're going to do that. I have and I will. Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with growing. For that groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I'm going to say, honestly, I know most of you. 
And honestly, I know that you are very much living this out. The writer is encouraging you to believe and understand that your souls will be cared for and there will be peace and joy when you obey your leaders and submit to them. Not that there are not concerns, not that there are not things to watch out for. The writer of Hebrews, Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5, they're not asking for blind obedience. They're not saying follow a wolf. Don't follow someone into heresy, but where there's truth being expounded and embraced, joyfully and willingly obey and submit for the benefit of the body that you're a part of and the wellness of your own soul. Christians are called to be discerning in their hearing of God's word. They must never accept something as true just because a preacher or leader says it. At the same time, they are to be eager to obey and to submit to authority. I want to read to you again the text that we looked at as we looked at Hebrews 13.7, and one we've looked at many times before. Because I think it gives a detailed description of what the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews 13, 17. What the benefits of biblical leadership look like. And so I'm not going to have you turn there. I just want you to listen. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11, reading through verse 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the outworking of Hebrews 13, 17. That's the body loving well, submitting well, obeying well, being shepherded well. That's what it looks like. And so let me encourage you with four things quickly in closing. Four ways that you can be encouraged in obeying and submitting. Number one, pray. Pray for your leaders. We're going to talk more about that next week. That's going to be the focus. Number two, be guided by the word, not by worry. We are so worrisome. We're so worried that we're going to be abused or misled or whatever it is. We're just often too worried rather than being word-centered. Be on guard but be guided by the word, not by worry. Third, have a we mentality, not an us versus them mentality. We 
are the body of Christ building ourselves up in love, speaking the truth in love. And that's fourth, build each other up in love. Do the work of ministry that you're called and equipped to do, which results in a body loving itself better and displaying Christ more fully. That's the goal of Ephesians 4, until we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we have a long way to go. He's perfect. He's glorious, and he's beautiful. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, giving instruction for the Lord's Supper, says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And two things I want to say quickly here. That expression, as often as you drink it, is a reminder for us that we are prone to forget. We're prone to do things and not do them purposefully, to sing lyrics that, that we just have gotten used to singing. And how many times we might sing amazing grace and not once think cross of Christ. Or how many times we might come together and and be so used to taking the piece of bread and drinking the cup that we really don't stop and remember that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. That's his reminder And he says, as often as you do this, as often as you drink the bread and uh, eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The goal of Ephesians 4 is displaying Christ. And one of the ways that he gives us to do that is through taking the bread and drinking the cup together. What a blessing that is. That's a joy and a blessing that we don't want to forget week after week after week. We want to be purposeful in doing that. And so even as you hold the bread and you hold the cup, be mindful. Don't be absent-minded, but think. We're remembering the sacrifice, the suffering of Jesus that makes a way for us to be free and to live forever and ever with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You're good, Lord, and what you do is good. And Lord, we praise you for your word. We confess to you there are things in your word that we struggle with. And so we're grateful that you've given it to us. Because I know, Lord, without your word, I would be aimless. Without your instruction, I would never do what you want me to do. And so, Lord, help Help us to be a body, a people 
set apart by you that display your beauty and your glory in the way that we function together, the way that we strive to serve, the way that we strive to love. Help us to embrace the goodness of your call in that. And work in us by your Spirit more and more love, deeper and deeper love for one another. That you be glorified through us as a church. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord, even as we prepare to take the bread and the cup. Help us. Help us to be a people who remember And worship in Christ's name, amen.